We are back for another Codex Cantina episode, which is just two guys talking literature, trying to make sense of it. Now, we spend a lot of time pushing ourselves, trying to understand this literature, organizing it, and then bringing it to a conversational approach for how we deliver it. And we've absolutely put more money in it than we've gotten out of it. So if you guys are considering supporting this channel, we'd appreciate you checking out our Patreon link at patreon.com slash the Codex Cantina, as well as Ko-Fi of ko-fi.com slash the Codex Cantina. It all helps us in running the show, along with commercials, guys. So thank you so much. We're going to do a quick commercial break, and then we'll get on with the rest of the episode. 13th story in the collection, but 10th in order of composition. A Mother from Dubliners by James Joyce today. Everybody loves their mom, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Except for this one. (laughs) Now, Joyce wrote on December 27th, 1934, in a letter to his uh, his son, George, that this was actually... So think about it. He finished this in 1905, and he's writing this letter from, you know, 30 years later almost, that he based this story on his own experience performing in a public concert when the pianist left in the middle of the concert. And that's kind of interesting to think about. Do you think it was a little bit more dramatic knowing Joyce and how well versed you are in him that it probably wasn't as like the guy stormed off slamming the piano? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, in terms of dramatic, Mrs. Kearney's got it going on. Uh, oh, yes. <laughs> she She's a character that, I mean, what does she want? Because you have in the beginning... This, this really dramatic statement about how she became Miss Kearney. And, and I wasn't even really sure what was going on until the end of the paragraph where it explains like, oh, she chose to marry because of all of this public pressure, these expectations society put on her, which we know how James feels about the expectations of marriage and religion and stuff like that. And, and she almost does it out of spite, right? To prove others that she's, she's going to be able to not fall down in the social ladder, but ascent. She marries an older man, and I think that she's very bitter about that, that she succumbed to society's pressures is kind of how I read it, and that she just holds on to that anger for the rest of her life, because I think that deep down, Mrs. Kearney, like a lot of us, wanted to marry for love, and she married for station, and that just pit in her heart hardens over time, and she takes it out on everyone else. So she's romantic, but doesn't act upon it. So in James Joyce's eyes, a Dubliner, right? (laughs) (laughs) Aw, James. So this story, what's nice about it is it's actually been a while since we've brought up the um, Celtic revival, right? We talked about that in some of our earlier James Joyce talks. This story is, is steeped in it, right? We definitely get a little bit more involved how we view, you know, when Dublin's looking at who, who were we? Right, particularly after a century of, well, in still pro- in the process of, uh, they're not even free at this point, but a century of oppression from England. Right, let's celebrate being Irish right? in terms of bringing back the language, in terms of bringing back the culture and the dress. That, that that they thought that that was a way of preserving, you know, who they were. And I think James Joyce was kind of, whenever you talk about making people act a certain way or putting structures on them, he he rejects it. Right, and this is a story that's about pulling back the old values and and James Joyce thinks the future's in a different direction right he he's kind of against the celtic revival in in some ways that that's a very broad statement i i think that's an easy argument to make that he's against that you see in a lot of his works outside of even dubliners that he is going against the grain of 
putting on those labels of Irish. He doesn't necessarily go along with that. And I think that Miss Kearney kind of embodies that in this story. So Miss Kearney, her, her daughter, Kathleen, gets invited to be a part of this movement, right? To be in this concert in the ancient rooms. Mr. Hollihan invites her in. He doesn't even know how to do the contracts. Mrs. Kearney being more experienced in it. You know, she jumps on that, right? Because her definition is of, of self is so external that by her daughter becoming renowned and becoming more popular because she does believe in her skills, that would raise her own value, her family's value, even is the way I looked at it. Oh, Mrs. Kearney is living her life through her daughter. We see this so many times of parents doing this, especially in modern times with sports, for example, of living out their own childhood dreams. And you get that first inkling that Mrs. Kearney is not genuinely doing this for her daughter, but it is all about herself. And the way that she jumps into the contract negotiations, which... Uh, according to the Gifford Guide, it wasn't an exorbitant amount. It was a good amount of money, but it wasn't enough to to lose one's mind over the way that Mrs. Kearney does. And, you know, kind of low-hanging fruit, wherever, wherever there's money exchanged, that's when you need lawyers, right? So one might be wondering, like, who's in the right here, right? Like, was, was the contract what should be, you know, followed? Or the fact that the concert was a, you know, a failure, should it kind of be, you know, should we let it slide? And I didn't know this, but apparently English and Irish culture at the time was that it was not a binding contract per se. It was more advisory so that if the concert series really did do bad, that it wasn't uncommon for theater places to pull back on compensation when the performances didn't go as well. And this seems to be the natural course of a lot of the stories in that public life is bringing in the aspect of money and uh, class station based on money, right? I mean, we, we've seen that before. So the concert doesn't kick off well. The first two nights kind of a bust to the point where they cancel yeah. the third so that way they can, you know, stack that fourth night. Well, if Miss Kearney isn't getting the recognition of these concerts going well publicly, you know, her daughter being recognized, how else can she raise her status? Is that why she's so hard up to get paid well for it? So she could say that her daughter was a paid, you know, performer for XYZ concerts in a sense. Like she's, was she trying to salvage whatever she could to ascend the ladder of sociability here? But what to what end? What goals? Why is she so hell bent on this? What does this do for her? And why isn't she thinking more importantly, what does this do to my daughter? And how is that affecting her daughter negatively? Okay, well, if someone identifies with Miss Kearney, take take this politely. I, I'm not talking about you, but Miss Kearney, I think, <laughs> views herself as a failure. And I think Aww. she's living vicariously okay. through her daughter to pick up her status. Well, she didn't marry for love. <laughs> she married for shoes. <laughs> oh, that's going to be the worst reason to ever get married. <laughs> you heard well, it here first, folks. <laughs> All right, well, let's talk about how these nights go, right? Because they're not going well. And is is Miss Kearney, you know, she's talent management, right? She's, she's managing her daughter. Is she jumping out there in terms of promotion, getting people into the doors? Is she, is she even caring about the revival at all, right? Like, she, she seems to have no intent of this, this performance to be elevating Irish culture, 
and instead is worried about elevating herself. I think there's also where you see a little bit of Ms. Kearney being petty, the way that she kind of lords her daughter as the highlight of everything. And that, you know, she's grading on all these people. This is what you're going to do. This is what you're going to do. This is what you promised. And we just, we get this feeling that she is so inconsiderate to everybody, including her own daughter, to achieve her own goals. And again, it's just like, you married by your own choice. You didn't have to. And then we have that, you know, idea of, of, I guess, money and poverty thrown in there as well. I mean, she's a very complex character with very simple motivations, I would say. James Joyce is just a master at these perfect, like every double in her stories has like literally the world's most perfect sentence. And I know that's kind of a contradiction to have a short story collection of a whole bunch of perfect sentences, but. (laughs) (laughs) But there's this line where she says, she respected her husband in the same way as she respected the general post office as something large, secure, and fixed. And though she knew the small number of his talents, she appreciated his abstract value as a male. (laughs) I remember giggling to myself about that line. (laughs) It's great because it also, I mean, in terms of when we know what we know about Irish culture over time and, and where it evolved from, in many ways, it was behind in how it treated and what it expected of females as opposed to males, too. A very patriarchy-driven society in terms of the right of when they could divorce, in terms of the even the ability to work if you were pregnant and married. Like, like those are things that were not, like, exactly viewed as how we view them today. Yeah, maybe. I think that we have to think of this as a whole family dynamic, though. I mean, although Mrs. Kearney is the focal point of the story, you still have Kathleen, uh, you know, who is kind of like, you know, Eveline, one of the other stories where the family has its needs and Kathleen has her own desires and needs. And the husband, uh, you know, just being a male, uh, still has his own <laughs> desires and needs as well. And I think that there's this this triangle that is a mixture of of a mess that isn't seeming to flesh out very well. Uh, they're, they're not working well as a family unit. Right. No, and I think you hit the nail on the head. James Joyce is, of course, laser focused on what he wants in his story. And he's laser focused on what Miss Kearney's story is. This is her story, right? In the same way that they they bend the knee to her in terms of what her desires are, so too do we see other things, right? So Mr. Hollihan, Mr. Fitzpatrick, they their desires are to make the concert go well. And whether they truly believe in, in the revival or not, who knows? But you'll see this almost deference, like this way that they... They eschew responsibility whenever they're asked about the money because to them, I don't know, do you view it as they're just trying to, like, that's that's what their job was. If it wasn't going well, you know, why, why would this somewhat decently, decently skilled, relatively unknown talent deserve all the extra money when it's understood that you shouldn't have to pay when these concerts fail? There's an element of the we right, that these other people have. And maybe that's why it's so easy to judge Miss Kearney is there's not much we when we're in her mind. It's all about I, me, and what Miss Kearney needs. And there's not even recognition of these others around her that do seem to give way to what she's pushing for. You could also think about Mr. Hollihan and the others of they're maybe more the representation of the artistic style and that Kearney is the representation of 
the poverty, the class, the economy side of things. So there is that division of one is doing this to put on, you know, a concert to to give back the artistic value of the culture of these people, and the other is doing it for money and status. And those are always going to be at odds with one another throughout almost of all of human history. That's a really good point, because Mr. Fitzpatrick had a quote-unquote flat accent, and the flat accent is usually how you describe someone who's a little bit more lower class. So that definitely aligns there in the story. Um, what about the newspaper? We, we, If you remember from the sisters, I pointed out that they called it the Freeman's General meaning that she mispronounced Freeman's Journal. And here in this story, we actually have representation of the Freeman's Journal. But where is he? Right? He's in the back, drinking, not even close to the performance. Like, he doesn't <laughs> even care about the revival, and he's supposed to be the one writing about it. You think this is this is Joyce with a little, little jab there? Getting yeah. his little, uh. Totally. Yeah, totally. Because, well, why, why would this concert hall not be packed, right? If... If the revival and the Irish desire to go back and yep. celebrate a lot of that heritage was as big and booming as we think it should be. Packed sh- house every night. Shouldn't it, right? And and I know this is yep. a story and we're going to craft it to how we want. I think he's crafting this to show that there's not as hunger and there's there's not as much desire for that old way of world thinking than than a lot of the way that the Irish are presenting it. Or that, and again, we talked about the very beginning that this is what Joyce saw himself. So maybe he's standing in that concert hall doing his performance, seeing the pianist walk off, and he's looking out, and half the seats are empty. And and then he writes what he knows. And in this story, he's giving us a a look into the past of hey, the newspapers may present it this way, but this is what I really lived. Hmm. Now we kind of got to talk about the ending because. Mrs. Kearney is willing to sacrifice her daughter's future in the business, her reputation, just to get, you know, the, the, the last few guineas, which isn't even all that much. I think it equates to a couple, maybe $100, if not a little bit more by today's standards, based on what I looked up. But, she, but she's so willing to take that step to make the money that she feels like she's deserved, that she's willing to sacrifice future opportunities. What do you think that means? Pride. This comes down to pride. This is, in my opinion, where Joyce shines of talking about the faults that he sees in his own fellow countrymen and that they will sacrifice and pride cometh before the fall. Mm, I can see that. I can see that. I can also see it maybe interpreted as criticism of Ireland being obsessed with class and status. The chasing of it, but to what end? Does it actually further yourself, your country, and that sort of thing. So you can talk about being for revival. You can talk about having the higher status and being paid. But if it doesn't actually move the, the needle, it's it's all for naught. And also to that fact as well is that they are so focused on we have to be different than the English. We are so not them. They'll do anything to prove that point, sacrificing money and family to just say we are not them (laughs) yeah now with any james joyce story there's always multiple interpretations and we obviously did not talk about everything let us know what your thoughts are on this story if you enjoyed today's talk and aren't sure what to add feel free to leave a a mother icon a little uh, little lady love you mom peace (laughs) peace out